Welcome to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. We're a church in Gahanna, Ohio, that exists to help people find and follow God. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and helps you discover how much God really loves you. Well, good morning. Should have tiptoed out here after that passage. Uh, oh man, I don't know why I said a couple weeks ago that I was excited about teaching through First Peter. Because two weeks ago in the birthday party, I had to dog on Ozark. And, uh, and here we are talking about First Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 7. I feel like teaching through this, I, it's like holding a fire torch in one hand and a stick of dynamite in the other hand for 30 minutes up here and hoping nothing catches on fire. So uh, I've got a lot of people praying for me today as we tackle this one together. Here, I'm gonna, sorry, I'm going to move this. Uh, as we tackle this one together, and uh, I think it'll be good. I wanted to, real quick, show you a picture of two people who don't know anything about marriage at all. Right there. That's it. <laughs> I don't know. I, that showed up this week as nine years ago, and I immediately sent it to Morgan, and I just thought, what were we thinking? Like, what, which what? it's just, what is she doing with me is really the question. So we're nine years into marriage, we've learned a couple things, and I've still got a long ways to go. And there's some folks in this room who have a lot to teach me about marriage and how to do it God's way. Uh, I was... So thankful. My wife leads a Bible study with a couple uh, girls on th- every other Thursday. And they, I don't know if it's coincidence or providence, were talking about some of this stuff that we're going to talk about today, this week. And they had no idea. They didn't match it up with what I was talking about. No idea. And uh, Morgan, my wife, invited Beth Gilger, who's somewhere in the house. Where's Beth at? Right there. To come over, just a, a, a godly, wonderful woman who's been a blessing to me and my family. Jeff, you agree? Yes? And uh, man, this is just something that I've got a lot to learn about. I'm going to do my best. I've studied a lot. I'm going to do my best to take us through this passage and to show you what God is trying to say. I, I found myself reading about this on Tuesday night this week, and I closed my eyes in my bed and thought to myself, how can I possibly get through this without making everybody mad at me? And then I just felt like God changed my heart in it. And he said, Joel, that's not what I want you to do. Joel, I want to strengthen the marriages in Three Creeks on Sunday. And so I just began to pray, God, will you use this passage to strengthen the marriages in Three Creeks Church today? Because what I read was that Marriages, the hardest period, if you will, that, that is, is between eight years three and ten. That's like the gauntlet. Like, are you going to make it? And the average length of a marriage before divorce is eight years. And so right in that three to ten window is where marriage can get really hard. And if you think about it, that's like you're going through your thirties. And so you, you fall asleep and wake up and you hurt your back. So your health goes out the window. And you have your first two kids if that's what God wants for you. And that's hard. And then you might be changing careers or buying your first house. The financial stress of life begins to really feel weighty in that period of time. And so a lot's going on a lot of times between that year three and year ten. And so it's an appropriate prayer. Liz just told you, we just broke the record. There's like 92 people that are pregnant in this room right now. (laughs) So God... 
will you please strengthen the marriages in this room? And I remember years zero through three, and those weren't easy every day. And what I heard is that between years 10 and 20, teenagers come along. And I heard that that's not a walk in the park for marriages. So God, will you please strengthen the marriages of Three Creeks Church today? When my marriage is going well, when I feel healthy, when I feel like we're communicating, when I feel like we're on the same page, nothing can stop me. I feel like I'm, like, I'm, I'm floating. I just feel so much more secure. My day changes. This week, I was expressing to Morgan that I was just feeling some stress and some anxiety, some pressure. And right before I walked out of the door, she said, hey, can I just come give you a hug? She just came over and gave me a hug, and it changed the course of my day because my marriage felt like, it felt like we were tight in that moment. And on the opposite end, if it's not going so well, it just derails me. Has anybody ever played golf where your wife's not thrilled you're playing golf? You can shoot 65. It doesn't matter. It stinks. It's just when your marriage, when it doesn't feel like you're together, when it feels like you're disconnected, it derails me. So God, will you please strengthen the marriages in our church today? If I were Satan, this is what I would attack the most. Because if I can break up a marriage, if I can cause division in a marriage, it throws everybody off their game. And so if I, and I read in the Bible over and over and over that a marriage, a, a marriage between a husband and a wife, that is actually this picture of the gospel and God's love. He, he says it over and over and over in the Bible that this, that marriages should be this picture of God's love for people. And so if I can screw up the marriages, then I'm going to distort God's love for people and people aren't going to be able to understand it. So of course, if I was Satan, I would go after marriages. And so, God, will you please strengthen the marriages in Three Creeks Church today? What I'd love to do is go through this, seven verses, go through one verse at a time. Wives, there's something in here for you. And husbands, there's something in here for you. And single ladies, there's something in here for you. And single men, there's something in here for you. And the temptation... I think it's obvious, but it's worth mentioning. The temptation will be to listen to somebody else's part and nudge them. Hey, you listen to that? You might even take notes and remind them on the way home of what you heard for them. And I will just warn us all now that if we listen for anybody else, this will not go well. It will be a disaster. But if we listen for us, and if we ask the question, God, what do you want to say to me? What is my response to this passage? I think that God could strengthen the marriages in our church today. Both the present ones and the future ones for those of us that are not married. I also think that you're going to potentially be tempted to disagree a little bit. But my request as you, as you I'm going to have to say the S word. Submit. I'm going to have to say that. And I, I just want to say that as I go through this, and as if you feel yourself tensing up or bristling or disagreeing, I just, I just want to ask that you'd hear me all the way to the end. I have something at the very end that I'm actually the most excited to share about. 
I want you to hear me all the way to the end. And perhaps, maybe, I know this is a crazy idea, but perhaps, maybe, once again, we will try it and find that God's way really is the best way. And I hope that you'll kind of hear me out all the way to the end on this message. So this first part here is written to wives, husbands, you are, it's like UFC fight night. You're the main event later. It's going to get bloody. You know, we're going to get after you in a second. But wives, we start off with you guys. Number one, verse one, it says, wives in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. So the first couple words there says, wives, in the same way, submit, to your hus- or submit yourselves to your own husbands. Let's just take a minute to, to discuss what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that wives are in any way inferior to husbands. It does not mean that wives are to submit to an abusive husband. It does not mean that all women should submit to all men. It's not what it says. This does not mean that women aren't or can't be leaders. It does not mean that women are less important in any way at all. This is what it does mean. Submission is willfully choosing to follow your husband as he leads you and your family. And submission is never something ever that a wife should feel forced to do. It's, it's, it's not even, it, it's not how it works. Submission is always something that you would choose to do. A husband is never to demand submission. It's only the wife's to give. That's it. This cannot mean that wives are in any way not equal to, less valuable than, or inferior to their husbands. Because if you believe that, then you have, I would suggest, a major theological difference than me. I think Christianity might hang in the balance because of that belief. Because Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ himself, who was God's son, the son of God, equal in deity to the Father, the fullness of deity dwelt in bodily form. That's what it says about Jesus. He was equal to the Father and equal to the Spirit. Yet what did Jesus do over and over again over the course of his life? He willingly submit to the Father. They were equal in person and yet distinct in their role. And if you say, well, my husband doesn't deserve my submission, you are probably right. Most of us do not. And if you say he's an idiot, you're probably right. Most of us are. But rather than seeing this as obedience to your husband, you have to view submission to your husband not as obedience to your husband, but as obedience ultimately to God. And in some sense, in some sense, this is an opportunity that is given uniquely to wives to be like Jesus Christ. Now, how does this work itself out practically on the day-to-day as a husband and wife interact with one another, how does this actually look? I'm going to get to that a little bit after the husband part. So I'll come back to that. Hang with me. But verse 3, as we keep moving through, says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. 
Notice it doesn't say that you shouldn't have an elaborate hairstyle or wear gold jewelry or wear fine clothes. It just says that your beauty shouldn't come from it. It's not where you should find your worth or your value. It's not what you necessarily want people to notice. Verse 5, for this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. So where when Peter was writing this to all these people, the Roman culture was kind of dominating the landscape. And in Roman culture, it was a 24-7 beauty pageant at all times. It was, it was hairstyle and clothes and jewelry. That was how you identified yourself. And, if, and there's a way that the world tells people, women, to be beautiful, and it's very external. And it might feel at times, if you are externally beautiful, like that it gives you the sense of power or significance, but anybody can tell you that's a, a little bit older than you that, that external beauty fades. That's not a secret. That's not even controversial. It's just true. The external beauty fades. And what Peter writes here is that there is a beauty that is better and sweeter than external beauty, and it never fades. It's the beauty of the inner self. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. In other words, in the eyes of the world, external beauty shines. But in God's sight, internal beauty shines brighter. That is of great worth in God's sight. It describes this inner beauty as the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Let's talk about that just for a second. Because we might be tempted to think that that just means that, that Women are, they should be suppressed and, and quiet. Just be gentle and just, just do, you know, what is traditionally, you know, this, this patriarchal top-down, women, you just be quiet. That's not what this means at all. The, the, the questions that people have when they read that are, what does this mean? Does it mean that a woman can't have a big personality? Does it mean that a woman can't be a leader? that women are just supposed to be doormats and let people walk all over them. Not in the least. It's not what it means at all. Let me tell you exactly what gentle and quiet mean. The word gentle in the original Greek that Peter wrote, it's the word praos, P-R-A-U-S, praos. And another word for praos translated as humble, meaning this this person who has a gentle spirit is not self-focused, but others-focused. They're not interested in propping themselves up. They prop others up. They don't walk in a room and say, look at me. They walk in a room and say, look at you. They're incredibly interested in other people. This kind of gentleness that Peter's talking about is strength that is under control. And Jesus, this is interesting, Jesus only talks about his own heart one time. He talks about his heart one time. And what does he say? He says, I am praos and humble in heart. I am gentle and humble in heart. And so once again, wives had this unique ability to to embody, to, to be like Christ in this way. And you cannot say, you cannot say with with any amount of confidence that Jesus was not a leader. He was just a doormat that let people walk over him. Are you kidding? He was the opposite of that. Yet, he had a gentle and quiet spirit. The word quiet is 
the Greek word hesukios. And another word for hesukios, to help you understand what quiet means, is peaceable. It's a person that brings peace into the chaos of the world. There's less quarrels and less problems and more peace. You want to be in a hesukios' person's house. You ever been in a hesukios' person's house? People just breathe easy. There's not a lot of things that overwhelm you, stress you out. There's just, there's just a calm that is in that, in that person's home. Single fellas out there. Jeff, where you at? Jeff Schaefer? He's right there. <laughs> I want you guys to know something, a couple things. Number one, that marriage is a gift. And number two, that so is singleness. Don't rush it. There's, God wants to do something in you now, too. And maybe, maybe... God might never have you be married, and that has nothing to do with how much he wants to use you or your ability to live a full life. You should know that. But to those of you who are on the prowl, (laughs) seriously though, (laughs) I mean, listen, a gentle and quiet spirit somebody who thinks about their inner beauty, that is what you're looking for. Because the external fades. It just does. And the internal, it just gets more and more beautiful over time. And the writer of Proverbs said it. He said, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, meaning that it goes away. It can be tricky. But a woman that fears the Lord is to be praised. And so my prayer for the young guys in the church who want to be married one day is that you, would, that you would seek that so much that you would find a woman of God who loves Jesus and get a ring on her finger and hold on. It's so fun. But that inner beauty is what you're looking for. And single ladies, I'm coming your way in just a minute. But let's get after the husbands for a sec. Husbands. We only get one verse because Peter knew it's all we can handle. We need help and God gives us some. Let's see how we're doing. Verse 7. Husbands. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Man. Real quick, I just want to talk about that weaker partner line. There's a couple different ideas of what that means, but the best way I could communicate it is this is a crowbar, and this is a thermometer, and they were both $15, all right? They're both $15, but which one of these two would you describe as weaker? If they collided, one would win. If I smashed this with a crowbar, the crowbar would prove itself to be, quote-unquote, stronger. Which one is weaker? Which one is more valuable? Is it fair to say that it depends on what you're trying to do? If you're trying to detect my temperature, this is going to be more valuable. If you're trying to open up a door... 
this one's going to be more valuable. So it depends on what you're going to do. So again, this weaker partner thing has nothing to do with value or usefulness or, or equality. It, it's not, it has nothing to do with that. You could try to take my temperature with this, and it would not work. And you could try to open a door with this, and it would not work. Equal value, equal worth, different characteristics. Husbands and wives, crowbars and thermometers. Husbands, and, and oh, one more thing I want to show you. Just to prove, just to prove that Peter is not saying that anybody's different in value, what he says in the second half, when he says as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, that would have rattled some people. Because at the time, culturally, the women were not heirs of anything. It was, we got to have a son who can be the heir. The women didn't inherit anything. It was all passed through the guys. And so when Peter writes, as heirs with you, co-heirs of the gracious gift of life, he is leveling the playing field and saying, in God's sight, there is no, there's no difference in value or ability to, to, to change the world. He's saying, I'm going to use both. They're co-heirs. Salvation is for everybody. And you get to inherit it. When, when it says, in the same way, husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. I, I was reading this and it, it just, it made sense to me. The phrase of being considerate and treating your wife with respect is best translated this way. Husbands, prefer her. Prefer her and serve her. And what does she want? Choose her. Give to her preferences before yourself, before your family. Prefer her. Use your position as a husband to serve, to prefer her. Being a husband is not licensed to do what you want to do, but rather it's empowerment to do what you ought to do. And what you ought to do is prefer her. I, uh, in talking about this, the word submission and this passage... I have found that, uh, well, last night I went out to dinner with my brother and his wife and my wife, and we discussed this, <laughs> and we discussed it till after 10 p.m. because it kept going. It, it's, it's a topic that, for some reason, it's, it's hard to swallow, or we want to kind of interpret it differently, and what does it mean now? What did it mean then? I, I just, I, I have found that wives kind of bristle at that word. And so does mine. And, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but I, I was thinking about that, and I go, man, I think that that is my fault. As the leader of our home, I think that a lot of that bristling is my fault. Because of how many times I have not preferred her on how I haven't really been holding up my end of the deal. The passage doesn't say, husbands, keep score and keep it even. The times you prefer yourself and the times you prefer her, let's just keep those about even so both people can be a little bit happy and meet in the middle. It says, husbands, be considerate and prefer her over and over and over. And so for what that looks like for me... This is what God's doing in my heart. 
is if the trainer family has a thousand decisions to make over the next couple months, everything on where we're going to go out to eat, to what color we're going to paint the bedroom, to what we're going to do with an extra $300. My role as a husband is to look at my wife and prefer her and to do what is best for her and our family that they might thrive in my home. And I think I'm tempted to think, man, I think probably it should be 500 to 500. <laughs> you know? Like, the last time we had $300, you bought flowers. And I found a new driver on Facebook Marketplace. And I'm tempted to think what I want to do is just keep it even. And what this passage is saying is, husbands, the target is not 500 to 500. The target is 1,000 to 1,000. Or excuse me, 1,000 to zero. 1,000 to zero. So that, this is, this is where this kind of landed for me. So that... Over the course of the next few months, over the next few years, if I am just constantly preferring her and serving her and giving to her and looking out for her so that she never feels like I need to fight for myself because she always knows that Joel's going to fight for me, then one day, by the grace of God, she might look at me and just without a shadow of a doubt know that I'm so much for her that she would look at me and go, yeah, I'll follow him. I'm good with that. Because he has proven over and over and over that he wants to serve me and my family. He's not out for himself. He's out for the benefit of our family and our marriage. And so I'm going to own today some of, that, some of that bristling that somebody might be feeling. Man, husbands, it's up to us to serve and prefer just selflessly over and over and over so that submission does not feel like a burden but a blessing to our wives. So that submission does not feel like something they have to just knuckle and say, oh, fine, I'll do it. But rather they go, I'll follow that person. They're so much like Jesus. I will follow that person. single ladies in the house, I think it's true that the greatest predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And God can change people. Don't get me wrong. He does change people. But the greatest predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And so I'm telling you, I don't know where you are, I'm telling you guys to look for somebody who prefers others. To look for somebody who serves other people who isn't completely caught up in their career and in their hobbies and in their house and in what they're doing. Look for somebody who loves their parents or their siblings or their friends in ways that they don't even love themselves. Look for that kind of person. Because when you sign up to marry somebody, you're signing up for this passage to apply to your life. And you want to find somebody who has this track record of not being completely focused about themselves but they love other people because that is an indication that they, they'll get going. It's going to take them a minute. But over the course of their life, that they will, they will choose you and prefer you in your family. I know that there are decisions. I know this thing comes to a head where you're like, well, what if we can't decide? 
You know, like, what if it's this big thing and the husband, he's the leader and the wives submit? Like, what if we can't decide? That's a question that I have, that a lot of people have. And this is what I'll say to that. Morgan, have, Morgan and I have had those. We've had times where we are just on opposite ends of the spectrum on what feels like a big decision. And I would just, I would tell myself, hey, Joel, listen to this later. I would tell myself, and I've told myself, and people have told me, this is not the only passage that applies to family decision-making. That first, before maybe you even go here, consider everything else that the Bible says about making decisions as a family and as a wise person. And so you come together, and you talk, and you communicate, and you're patient, and you're humble, and you pray, and you fast, and you say, God, do you want me to move on this? I, I can't, Morgan and I were trying to think of a time where we haven't landed together, because God had us marry each other, and that is a prayer, God, would you align our hearts? It seems like one that he would be eager to answer. And so when we're trying to decide, man, where's Cooper going to go to school? She's going to be a kindergartner. We were on opposite ends of the spectrum, and God, over the course of a few months, aligned our hearts so that we are on the same page with that. And I, I, I will acknowledge that maybe, even through that process, even after days or weeks or months of praying together and talking, I will acknowledge that there might be this moment where, man, there's just an impasse. We don't know what to do. She wants to adopt. He doesn't want to adopt. He wants to get a new house. She wants to stay where they're at. And, and, and there's like, it's like, which person's going to move to the middle? If that happens, I, I really, I'm so confident that God will guide you through all the other things that you ought to do. But if that happens, and there is an impasse, I will buy you Grater's ice cream, and you can come to my house, and we will talk about it, and we will pray about it, and we will work through it together. But I got a sneaky suspicion that I'm not going to buy a whole lot of ice cream, because God had you be married to one another. You already made that commitment. And over the course of time, as you pray and process and patiently, humbly talk about this, God has a way of aligning people's hearts who he has already joined together. Remember, you're not two. You're just one now. He's got a way of working that out. This has been a lot, a lot to process. Probably got some questions. Let me see if I could tie a bow on it and, and summarize it and show you God's love in this. Man, it would be easy. It would be easy to hear this or read this and go, well, if they do their part, I'll do mine. If they, they better do their part if I'm going to do my part. And, and you, you almost go away from a discussion like this with this conditional, I'll do it if they do it. And what is unbelievable about God is that that's not what he said. Jesus Christ, it says in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, that God demonstrates his love in this, that while we were still sinners, that is when Christ died for us. It doesn't say when we were finally getting our act together and showing God that we were sorry, 
then Jesus died for us. It's not what he said. The, the, the story of the gospel is that there's millions of people running the opposite direction of God. And God says, man, I love them so much. I've got to go see. I've got to go pave a way back. I've got to give them a way back into a relationship with me. And so Jesus Christ, you guys, he didn't take his cues from our behavior or our church attendance or our holy efforts. That's not what happened. Jesus Christ went he, he, he sees people that he loves and he goes, man, even Jesus Christ died on the cross and loved us in that way with no guarantee that any of us would love him back. That is crazy love for people. And that would be crazy love for us to go home. It, it's going to be easy to go home and nudge and say, are you going to do your part? That's not the takeaway. The takeaway, there's two things. The first is this, that we would stop for a second. That we would zoom out from this passage and think about what I just said about Jesus Christ and marvel at this unconditional love and grace of God. And if you have never received that personally in your own life, today's the day that you receive it. That you give your life to this person who loved you like crazy before you even knew who he was. And if you have given your life to Jesus, if you're a Christian Step number one, takeaway number one, is to just stop for a second, close your eyes, and marvel that despite you, God loves you. And despite me, God loves me. That is crazy love. And the second takeaway is to go home, if you're married, to go home and to love your spouse and to do your part regardless of whether they're interested in doing theirs. That would be Christ-like of you, to go home and to love them first, regardless, unconditional. I'm going to prefer you. I'm going to follow your lead. I'm going to go home and I'm going to do that because this, I'm accountable to God on this one. I'm going to go and do that. And if we do, then the prayer that I was praying this week, that God would strengthen our marriages that we would be tight, man, I think that's going to happen. If we go home looking for something from somebody else, I don't think it will. But God could strengthen our marriages if we go, man, what was in that for me today? And go do it. And love first. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray over the marriages in our church that you would strengthen them, that you would give me and my wife and the husbands and the wives in this room an added measure of humility that you would help us to love unconditionally, to do what you say unconditionally, no strings attached. And I pray for the single fellas and the single ladies, one, that they would not see marriage as the only way that God could use them, but that they would rejoice in their current state, that they would be single and thrilled and used by you in special ways, God. And if you would have them be married. I pray that you, would, that you would give the ladies men who prefer others, who serve others, who choose others, and that you would give the young men, women who don't put their beauty in outward appearances, that don't find their worth in how they look, but God, that they would see their worth because of who you say we are, children of God. Father, thank you for, the, for your word, all of it. We need all of it, even the stuff that we don't want to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, to give online, or to attend a service, visit threecreekschurch.com. Thank you.